The Clean Collective, empowering community through sustainability. No action is too small. The Clean Collective gives thanks and respect to the Kamaragal people, traditional owners of the land upon which the following conversation was recorded. Welcome, 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 welcome. Why are you saying the word welcome over and over again like a crazy person rolls? I guess because I want you to feel welcome and because I'm very pleased that you're joining me for The Ripple Effect, episode number five. Today, you and I are about to talk to Maddie Page, who is a delightfully intelligent and engaged young woman who, at the tender age of 21, has started her own non-profit organisation called Murian, dedicated towards ocean conservation, incorporating her own Indigenous heritage. Maddie is a Wiradjuri woman and really committed to tackling not only climate change, but the cultural divide between Aboriginal and colonial Australia. And she was such an inspiring person to talk to. I tell you what, like Maddie and I had this chat where suddenly it was one of those conversations where I just suddenly looked down and we had been talking for an hour and 15 minutes. And I was like, whoa, what the hell? And then I thought back and I was like, well, Rose, that makes sense because we covered a hell of a lot of ground. Obviously, we talked about climate change and social issues like indigenous rights and such. But we also talked about movies and food and marine biology, and the Wiggles, and a whole bunch of other things. And it was a conversation that I really, really enjoyed. And I left feeling so inspired because, I mean, what were you doing when you were 21? Because when I was 21, what was I doing? I was surfing, drinking beers, carrying on with my mates. I definitely wasn't committed and motivated enough to tackle a few problems about the world around me, like Maddie has in starting her own nonprofit organization. Maddie's such an impressive young person to talk to and hopefully for you to listen to because I don't know about you, I find it very easy to get lost in the doom and gloom of how badly the world is currently being run by some of the powers that be. So it's so inspiring to listen to a future leader, someone who's engaged and informed and articulate and committed to making a difference in solving some problems about the world around her. So hopefully you leave this conversation feeling the same way that I did, which is elated and joyous and relieved that there are young people out there who are taking things into their own hands and solving problems left, right and centre. So thank you, Maddie, for this wonderful chat. I hope you enjoy it. Maddie Page, everybody. I read your piece on um, the open letter to Gladys Berejiklian. Oh, yeah. Savage. I like it. Yeah, which makes me mad. Totally. Like, my full-time job is in construction. Okay. So, I work in Aboriginal participation and social inclusion. Okay. Um, and then that obviously, my love for, like, the environment and stuff also comes in play with, like, the sustainability and enviro guys. Yeah, yeah. And when they posted that she was getting rid of the Department of Environment and Heritage, I was, like, disgusted. It's crazy, isn't it? How much has just sort of flown under the radar of exactly how many laws she's repealing and all of this, like streamlining in inverted commas which is sort of a concerning thing don't you want specificity don't you want like targeted departments that are really good at a specific thing everyone's like oh no it's just getting amalgamated and i'm like that's not what we need i'm like now we're the only state that doesn't have one like so i read that is that that's that's true is it we're the last state that or the only state that doesn't have a yeah well that's what like one of the big sustainability guys was saying at work wow because I don't really like politics, so I don't read too much into it. Mm, mm. Um, so that's what I was taking from work, and we use Workplace by Facebook. So there's all like our little groups, like sustainability, yeah. plants, fishing. So everyone kind of just puts all their interests 
onto those pages. Yeah. So that's where everyone just kind of went nuts. Like, what are we going to do? Because that affects, because the the government is our client for work. Okay, of course. So all the elections and stuff make it really fun. Right. That, so does that, that must really affect workplace atmosphere and morale and like your attitude to, I mean, there must be an element, I mean this in the most respectful way possible, but there must be an element of futility when you've got so much political uncertainty and you're just like, well, why am I doing this then? Because it might be a waste of time tomorrow. Well, most of like, yeah, that's how it feels when you do tenders sometimes. You're like, okay, there's going to be a change of government. Are they going to want the same specifics or are they just going to change it completely and we've just wasted all this time and money? But after you've signed the contract to start building, it can't get changed yeah right i get you but i mean we didn't change government so it didn't affect much yeah yeah that's a scary thing to think about the amount of wasted human time and energy and just lost in bureaucracy and lost in political nonsense like that yeah Mm. it's it's scary i hate politics so what's your role in construction what do you do um so i work i'm actually a graduate so finished uni and i was thank you so i was really lucky so uh, with marine biology degree, you're kind of like, what do I do? Like, you do Sorry, it. you did a marine biology degree and now you're <laughs> in construction. What happened? Yeah, so <laughs> I kind of was like, what am I going to do? Like, I don't know if I want to go back to uni for five years and go do a master's and PhD. Mm. As much as I do love research, it was a bit like, okay, so then I start my life after uni at 27, 28. I'm like, I don't think that's what I want to do. Yeah. So I applied for the John Holland graduate program doing enviro and sustainability mm-hmm. and at that time I was working in indigenous outreach at my university so I went into my interview which I was not expecting to get that far because it's a really tough process mm-hmm. and the national aboriginal engagement manager interviewed me and turned out I knew her daughter okay and nice. like in the aboriginal space like our world is really small well yeah I imagine yeah so everyone like you might not know someone but they'll know someone you know yeah everyone's just two people away yeah everyone's pretty close yeah so she was like is this are you interested in doing like aboriginal engagement for john holland because that's not really like a role that they advertise Mm. and you're kind of stupid to say no like you kind of got to say yes at every opportunity yeah that sounds like a pretty massive one as well yeah an unlisted job but just something that needs doing and an eligible qualified candidate yeah so that's what I've been doing since January. And cool. I love it. I get to talk to lots of other black fellas and mm-hmm. make good relationships and try and push for projects to use Aboriginal people and Aboriginal businesses. Interesting. So it's less about um, less about like territory and more about just um, opportunity. Yeah. So we'll go to areas like we just did Broken Hill. So uh-huh. that's obviously a big community, like Aboriginal community, and we'll work specifically with the people affected by the project. I don't really mean affected, but like, you know, that we'll actually use it or mm. be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so we work with them. What sort of projects, like what are the, the construction projects that, that they'll benefit from or that they'll use? So Broken Hill, unfortunately, I didn't get to take any part of it because we've just finished it. Mm-hmm. So they, it was like a 10 month build and it was a water, 
pipeline. The pipeline? Yeah. That's rescued Broken Hill, hasn't it? Yeah, because Broken Hill were months away from not having any water. Yeah, like taps running dry, just something we are so sheltered from in the city. Yeah, so my company... Broken Hill was on the edge. Yeah, built that with MPC. Okay. Wow, cool. That's a really amazing project. I've read a lot about that on uh, in the news and stuff. Yeah, we smashed Aboriginal participation targets as well. We had cool. 49 Aboriginal people on the project cool. from community. And that's everything ranging from, like, I imagine cultural consultation to actually boots on the ground building the thing. Yeah, we had... Don't quote me on the numbers because I can't remember. <laughs> don't worry, I won't. But it's like 12... Aboriginal trainees mm -hmm. went through like the employment program and did that. It was pretty amazing. Wow. So that's what I've been doing. Awesome. But I started my non-profit because I was like, what am I doing with a, with a marine science degree? Like mm. nothing. And I needed something to put my love into. Yeah. And I'm really lucky to be able to work in the Aboriginal space now because that's something I'm also really passionate about. And that's why Murian is called Murian, because it's the Wiradjuri word for sea. Yeah. So Wiradjuri were central tablelands, is that? Yeah, so like central right? west. So yeah. bordered by the Lachlan, the Murrumbidgee and the Macquarie rivers. Okay. So my family's from, like they live now in parks, but they're originally from Condobolin. Condobolin? Yeah. Okay. Because Wiradjuri land is huge. Like there's people from everywhere. Yeah. Wow, and you've ended up here in Clifton Gardens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, mum grew up in Redfern, so my pop came out to Sydney, and that's where he like, met my nan, mm -hmm. and they had their family growing up in like Erskineville, mm -hmm. and then mum ended up moving back to Parks for the rest of the family, and then mum met my dad, and they came to Sydney. Yeah, right. And then, yeah. So. Sweet. So how, how, much, um, how much are you... Like, what's your capacity of your engagement with the Wiradjuri community? I personally don't do much because I don't really go back out that way. Um, but my uncle, he works for the RMS and I'm pretty sure he's a cultural officer or something. Okay. I'm not quite sure the terminology. I yeah, <laughs> should yeah, know because yeah. we work with the RMS. But um, he does a lot of stuff out that way. Yeah, cool. Oh, nice. So how long have you been doing, Maria? Um, so July last year is when I put in for the ABN. Nice. And all that Big sort of moment. Stuff. Yeah. Very good. Because I was like, that's the hardest part, like putting in all that stuff. So I've still got a lot more documentation stuff to do. Um, it took me a while to kind of get it off the ground a bit because I decided to go away for a month mm -hmm. between uni and starting full-time work. That will handbrake your productivity in some mm. regard. Yeah, it was a little bit like a midlife, not midlife, like an existential crisis. I was like... Quarter oh. life. Yeah, I was yeah. like, oh my God, I haven't been to France and I studied French for like five years. So, so was that amazing to go there and speak French yeah. in France? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was nice. amazing. And then I got to go to Disneyland because that's another big one of my passions. Really? Disney? Yeah. Man, that is the most like in, infectious intoxicating culture like people who are into disney are so into disney oh yeah but like do you think people here in australia are into it you go to america and it's insane yeah because i went and worked at disney world for a bit when i was 19 mm -hmm. 
It was like the best thing I've ever done. What were you doing there? I was a there's a range of jobs to do at Disney World. Yeah, I yeah. I was a character attendant, okay. so I just kind of made sure like no one beat up Mickey Mouse and help them. How many people are out there beating up Mickey Mouse? That's so sad. Oh my sad. god, you'd be I'm so surprised. Uh, you know what? I just don't think I would. I think I know that those human beings exist who are like excited for a day at Disney World to go and beat the shit out of Mickey Mouse. <laughs> no, you'd actually be so surprised. And like some of the poor princesses, they'd get groped uh, and touched. Like one time I was with the evil queen from Snow White uh-huh. and we people could buy uh, like another ticket to go to this dinner and the villains were there so they've paid extra money to go to this thing yeah they groped her Ugh. and i'm like why would you do that because she came up to me and was like i've just been groped and i'm like i'm so sorry i'm like i didn't even see that is was that your job that you were supposed to dive in and intercept it you just see a wandering hand you're like oi oi i'm watching you mate like don't <laughs> even think much. about it she'd just be like oh, i'm sorry the no princesses touching. or like the evil queen does not like to be touched like that. Yeah. Like you'd, you'd be so surprised. Yeah. Is it how weird to like have to just syrup up a, a law. You may not touch the princess. You may not touch this human being without her permission, but you have to make it all saccharine like princess blah, blah, blah doesn't like that. Don't please, you know, yeah. keep your hands in your pockets or whatever. It's bizarre that yeah, you have I just to create a new language for assault. Yeah. I don't know why people think it's okay to go like just touch them. Yeah. Like, um... Such an invasion. Yeah, I'm like, he wouldn't just go touch a random on the street. You know what, though? Some of them would. Like, that's the problem, is that it's a really specific breed of human being that just doesn't conceive at all of physical and personal boundaries and and that space invasion thing. Yeah, and, like, they even say stuff, and you're like, oh, I don't don't think you should be saying that. Mm. And, like, the... So you're 19 when you're doing this job. Yeah. That's pretty confronting. Oh yeah, I got abused regularly, oh. but then it just became kind of funny because you're like, why? What? Are, why are you yelling? Like, my favorite time was I was with Santa Claus because it was around Christmas, yep. and we had people like Santa was inside, and the line to meet him was outside, but someone didn't know. And my name tag says Sydney, Australia, but they got mad at me because they were waiting inside, and I was like, oh, just so you know, the line to meet Santa is actually outside. Yeah. Then they went over to someone else and was like, that Mexican inside. And I'm like... Mexican? Yeah, I'm like, why, for starters, would you think calling someone Mexican is, like, derogatory? And don't you read name tags? Like, don't you have decency to say, oh, the attendant inside, or Madison inside, or... Mm. Like, I... But where, where's the um, where's the complaint? Told me I had to wait in the line... That's not a complaint. That's just yeah. status quo, dude. Like, that's what everyone's doing. Yeah, but you'd be surprised. People are very entitled. Yeah. And when you have so many people in one place, it just gets amplified. Mm, definitely. That's a really good point. Yeah, everyone's weirdness is just exacerbated in a group of people. Everyone's just, like, sort of freaking out about each other. There's too much, there's too much of a collision of all these different energies going on, and then all the weirdness comes out in one go. Yeah, and then because you have, like, 80,000 people there in a day. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that what's that? That's like Homebush Stadium is about eighty thousand, I think. That's how many yeah. in in one day. Yeah. A different different Homebush Stadium every day in the same place. So think about it like that's eighty thousand different types of people. Yeah. So you're gonna have similar aspects and attributes come up a lot. Yeah. And it's kind of just 
yeah amplified because there's so many of it and so concentrated and yeah it becomes um i'm glad to hear you didn't like it became like sort of funny as you say rather than taking it personally or actually having it emotionally affect you because no, no job is worth that well like what can you do like sometimes you've just got to like yeah okay they're mad I'm not going to retaliate. Yeah. Like, they don't even know me as a person. They're saying this because they're mad themselves. Yeah. So there's no point in taking it personally. That's exactly it. it, it whenever I see that, immediately I'm just compelled. I'm, you know, you're self-secure enough that you don't let it interfere with your energy, your happiness. But all I think about is, like, I, is pity. I'm just like, man, okay. So I, I see it out in the surf, for example, all the time when you see angry blokes basically yep. just hassling one another and like like dude is this what you're out here for what's the rest of your day like this is supposed to be the best thing you do today and this is how you're behaving like what's the rest of your day like yeah and suddenly it's just all you can feel for that person is pity is realizing like this level of distress follows them everywhere if it's followed them out here if it's followed them to the surf it's followed them to disney world what's it yeah. like when they're under actual stress what's it like when they're in a position of like actually back against the, oh, it's so scary to think about and all I do is pity those people. Yeah, like the one time where they're meant to escape from it all. Yeah. They just go for it. Yep. I'm like, oh, yep. not worth it. Yeah, I agree. Not worth it. Okay, we got really sidetracked. Maria, yeah. <laughs> tell, me, tell me more about Maria. So you guys are doing beach cleanups and is it education sort of stuff? Yeah, so it's obviously hard with being like working full time. So I have my best friend, Hannah, who helps me do everything. It's pretty much the two of us. Um, she's actually coming over later today to help do some like logistics and write some strategy. Cool. Um, but yeah, we're both, she has a biology degree and she's really passionate about conservation. And that's something I'm really passionate about as well, being like an Aboriginal woman, mm. because that's such like a big part of culture. Mm -hmm. And I saw there was a gap in the science field. I read this paper once and it was quite alarming the way it spoke about Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islanders. It was from the 80s, so granted back then there wasn't as much of a social movement. Um, some of the terminology was quite offensive. It was like, oh, the Torres Strait Islanders foraged for food and they caught their prey. And I'm like, you don't talk about people with those term like that terminology. Yeah, you talk about animals with that terminology, not people. Yeah, and no one reviewed that paper. Because, wow. you know, like people will review research and say, okay, this is, I'm not, I don't agree with this. Maybe they can further explore this idea or maybe they need to adjust the terminology here. No one reviewed it. So I'm like, okay, there's a massive gap mm. and no one's kind of incorporating like traditional knowledge with ecology and biology. And one of my other friends, she's doing her master's in cross-cultural ecology up in Arnhem Land. Oh, cool. So wow. it's... I've been experienced. Yeah. So, in the, like, one of my goals with Marianne is to be able to fund that research. Okay, awesome. Love it. Because if I wasn't doing what I do now at John Holland, I'd be doing a master's in something along the lines of, like, the effects of turtle population decline on the mobs up north. Yep. Because that's their totem. Yep. And, like, one of my friends, she's from the Torres Strait Islands. Her family's totem is a turtle. Uh, they treat their totems a lot differently than Aboriginal people do. So they will eat it, mm -hmm. and but they'll use every part of it. And I imagine it'd be very ceremonial. There'd be yeah. a lot of acknowledgement and connection. 
Yeah, she says it's like a big family feast and everyone comes together and well, total populations are declining and they're becoming mainly female and yeah. like what happens to cultural knowledge then? Yeah. So that's something I want Morian to let people know is, hey, yep, okay, the environment's degrading, this is happening, but what's that effect on our First Nations people? Yeah, there's a real social implication. Because, like, we'll be losing culture. Like, sea level rise, think of all the sacred sites along the coast, that's gone. Yeah, yeah. Like, down in Balmoral, there's that um, Aboriginal cave mm. with the middens. Mm. Sea level rise, it's literally on the beach. It'll, that's gone. Yeah. That's a bit of knowledge and history just gone. Yeah. And granted that uh, the Camaragal people have limited descendants and people that are Camaragal around, that's just sad that the people go and the sites go. Mm. So, like, we're starting off by promoting conservation and pretty much just like eliminating like single use plastics, doing what we can and like cleaning up because that seems to be what is kind of like the movement now and everyone's trying to get on board with that. Mm. So by getting everyone on board with it and then educating them about, okay, so now think of the effects after that. Yeah, I really, um, I respect that approach because there's, there's a real thing about going too hard too fast with confronting information, be it environmental or cultural. And yeah. if you were to say, you know, stop using coffee cups, pick up all your rubbish and protect the turtles because this is what's happening to, it's like it's too much and people yeah. just go, oh my God, oh my God. They might do it for a day, but then they'll stop doing it. And it's way easier to, to just go one step at a time, baby steps, little things, stop using single use plastics, start picking up the rubbish you have been walking past for your whole life. And then once that triggers that level of understanding and sort of just shifts gear in people's minds, it makes them way more receptive to more information that might be more detailed and perhaps more confronting. Yeah, and then they'll awesome. understand, like, they'll be like, okay, so I know the effects of plastics and microplastics and the effects of carbon dioxide and stuff. So once I have that understanding, then it's just a short jump to, yeah. okay, this is what's happened to culture and knowledge. Yeah. I, um, it's a, it's a real, um, it's a real source of distress for me because like as a, a white Australian I sort of have no I have no claim to country and I have no physical connection to the land as my heritage it really upsets me that information that has been so revered and closely guarded and only you know told to specific people in specific clans now has to be told to people like me who have no entitlement to it because otherwise it will just get lost. Yeah. And it's the most horrible, horrible like trap I feel for, you know, I, I went through, I went for a walk with an indigenous elder through Karingai National Park last year. Oh yeah. And um, he like, just the magic that was just oozing off this guy was just incredible to be around. But also, I couldn't just, I just couldn't get past the sadness and the visible sadness that he had, basically, I just felt like a gawking tourist, yeah. you know, and he's telling me stuff that I imagine traditionally would have been reserved only for a handful of people in his community. And here he is telling it to Roland Davies of Mosman, like, you know, I just yeah. felt like I had no entitlement to it. But if he, if, if people like gawking tourists like me weren't there and he wasn't willing then it would just get lost. It's gone. But I think it's also nice that you're willing to learn. 
and willing to hear from them because that kind of shows you're kind of I don't want to say bridging the gap because that can mean something else but kind of bringing the cultures together and showing that you have respect and kind of working I guess towards that reconciliation. Yeah it's a hugely uncomfortable position in my opinion that all white Australians should feel that a lot of the solutions to the climate crisis we've generated lie in the indigenous culture that we've marginalized so horrific horrifically for 300 years yeah and I... it's like how hypocritical to then turn around and say hey i know we've just committed a pretty crazy genocide but would you mind just helping us with the bushfires that are escalating that you guys are really really well versed in you know it's like an awkward position to be in to need to ask for help from the people that you've been bullying oh that's horrible so it doesn't feel like a but I think if more people had that mindset like you, it kind of shows that you are self-aware and you know that, okay, what we've done is wrong and like what you guys have as knowledge and practices is beneficial, then maybe that's what you need to like get started into that right direction of like reconciliation and working with people. Yeah, yeah. Because people will just be like, oh, well, I'm just gonna ignore the genocide, stolen generations, all the marginalism happening now, and we're just going to take your practices and claim it as our own. Mm. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm just thankful that there's people like you and people like Uncle Max and all these representatives of, of the community who have the grace to, to be able to overlook what I'm saying, because I feel like if I was in your position or Uncle Max's position or anyone else's, I'd be like, buggy you, you don't deserve this. Like, why would I... You know, it'd yeah. be really hard to to have the I mean, humility. It's some really people amazing. People they don't want to tell it to. Totally. You, you can and probably the, tell. Like, people have good has a good uh, have good judgment of character, mm. so they'll be able to decide if they want to share it with you or not. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But there's so much we can learn. Like, we were obviously using the land for years, and there was no real negative repercussions. So. There was, there's so many like interesting things, like I can't even remember what the plant is, but I went out to Miramidigar when I was in high school, which is out near Penrith, mm -hmm. and they have a native garden. Cool. And they showed us, okay, this is like bush medicine, and I can't even remember what the plant was, but it was really cool. So they'd break up the leaves and put it in the water, and it would stun the fish. So then they'd just jump in and grab the fish. Insane. Without like killing them. So, oh, oh my God. Okay, I read a story on ABC or something two days ago about Menindee and what's going on with the crazy fish kills that have been happening there. And um, they're doing, there's fish, people from the Department of Parks and Wildlife who are going out to fish, like to try and tag these fish and they're doing this electro stunning thing. Oh yeah. Amazing that that existed without whatever gadgets they're walking into the water with to do it. It's, there was a natural, there was like a single plant that did that for you. Yeah, they do that for carp. Yeah. The electric stuff. Yeah. Because I remember I learned that in year 11, for like earth and environmental science. And I was like, well, actually, <laughs> we had that before technology. Yeah, you technology. invested a lot of wasted money there in figuring <laughs> that out because yeah. there was a pretty simple answer and you just had to pull it off a tree. Yeah. Yeah. It's just things like that that you could just be taking from the land. Yeah. So how much of that was in, um, in your, how much indigenous culture was incorporated in your marine biology degree? Like none. None? Mm. Yeah. Was it good though? Did you like it? Oh, I loved my degree. Okay, good. It was the best and that's where I met my current boyfriend too. Okay. So like, we got to go to Heron Island and we got to do research up there. We got to like, pick our own project and 
Honestly, like those days were long, but they didn't feel long. Like you're out on the reef, we had to get up and in lectures by 8 a.m. Mm. Then we'd go out on the reef for like a couple hours during the day. Then you'd come back and do more research work and you'd be in the labs and you'd finish up at like 10 o'clock at night. But Big days. We were allowed to like go snorkeling in the mornings yeah. or one day our unit convener was like, okay guys, it's really nice outside. So we're going to go take the boat and go snorkeling off the reef crest. And you're like, yes, that does sound like important research. Yeah. I would like to investigate how that feels. <laughs> I will, I don't know, write it down, but let's go. Yeah, I was like, I don't want to sit in a lab counting for a manifera. I'm like, I'll let. Yeah. But I had to do it in pairs and the guy I was with, he didn't want to go out snorkeling. So I was like, you can count the four manifera and I'll go out with the turtles and the who sharks. Doesn't, who doesn't want to go snorkeling? Yeah, I don't I'm, know. I don't know if I know anyone. I don't know if, I, ugh. Who doesn't want to go snorkeling when you've got an opportunity in a beautiful place to just put on a face mask, cheat nature and go underwater and hang out? Who says no to that? Uh, there was actually a few people. Yeah, don't get I'm like, it. why? I'm like, how often do you get to come up to Heron Island? Well, let's give them the benefit of the doubt that they were just committed to the research in all its minutiae, including <laughs> recording data of, what did you say? Foraminifera. Foraminifera, am I saying that? Yeah. Right? What is that? They're little, like... Been a few years, a little like calcareous organisms. That's another generous use of a word or a generous assumption that I know what calcareous means. Uh, like calcium. Okay, okay. You know what calcium is? Yeah? I know what calcium okay. is. I'm familiar with calcium. <laughs> We've arrived at what I do. <laughs> that sounds like a super interesting degree. Yeah, it was honestly the best. Like, it sucked. I had to do geology, and I'm not the biggest fan of rocks. Mm -hmm. And we did this field trip um, down the south coast and we were looking to see if petrol was in the area. Um, and that's by like the layers of the rocks, what type of rock it is, and like everything had to be in line for it to have petrol. Mm -hmm. And we're scouring cliff faces and I'm scared of heights. I'm already sweating. It Shit. was the worst week ever. Were well, you just hanging off the edge of a cliff face just like... Well, poking at rocks. No, so we'd climb along things and jump over like this little chasm thing and all this stuff. And we just, all we had was hard hats on. Hard and hats then, not going to help with the chasm so yeah. much. And we'd go check out <laughs> like, the outcrops and be like, okay, what is this rock type? And we'd kind of like write it down and draw it. and. What with like a 40 metre drop beneath you? Oh, not that bad but five meter drop beneath you whatever bad and like bad enough for me and then do you know the bombo quarry down near kayama yeah 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 so we went there and it was our last day and i'm mentally exhausted from climbing everything mm -hmm. you scared of heights it's not only a physical thing it's a mental thing totally there was one last thing we had to climb up and this girl in my group she was so persistent she's like you have to do it you have to do it we're here it's the last day and everyone's like, no, she doesn't have to do it. I ended up doing it. You did it? Like, it was horrible. <laughs> what did she have to say afterwards? What did you say to her? I was just... Why do you have to do it anyway? Because she's like, I want you to face your fears and like all this Oh, I stuff. hate people like that. And I'm like, I know my limits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it, I think those people are trying to be helpful or it's like they're thinking they're being really helpful, motivational. Like, I believe in you. You can, yeah. you can be your best self and you can break down these things that you think you're not good at. It's like, no, no, no. I have a pathological fear of heights. Thank you. I don't want to go. This yeah. isn't a question of like self-security. This is... <laughs> 
yeah, yeah I'm I like you've already helped irritating. me scale all the other cliff faces like I don't need to just climb up this now like I'm good it's a really interesting um, landscape down there isn't it like all those quarries oh, and yeah. it's it's heartbreaking like I went um I went skydiving once and it was obviously Wollongong I thought the same and then I therefore for some reason reconciled it as a necessary thing to do because I thought I could never do it um I'm sort of glad I did it but basically the most captivating moment from that experience was looking out the window of this tiny plane and I was trying my absolute best to forget that I was strapped to somebody else and about to fall out of it um, but looking down and you, you see all these quarries and these mines through the is it the it's not the Cold Coast that's north of Wollongong whatever south of Wollongong like Kayama, Bombo, yeah. uh, Albion Park all those places yep. and all I could think about was it looked like someone had just come along with an ice cream scoop and just started just like taking scoops out of the land and you could just it was just these weird like enormous geometrically sort of beautiful in their own right because they were so perfect and so obviously yeah. precise but it just felt like yeah it was it just felt so wrong it was like the most weird probably really convenient thing to preoccupy me before I fell out but I was just looking at it just like this is just like a giant's come along with one of those with an ice cream scoop and is just like which is essentially what's happened it's just not a giant it's like thousands of small giants <laughs> just you know in, in trucks just basically feeding the world like taking oh yeah we need this resource we'll just take mm. a scoop of this oh we need that resource too we'll take a scoop of that and then you're just left with this really weird landscape it was super eerie yeah. Were you looking at those places? Um, we went, yeah, it was further down south. It was like Pearl Beach, mm. uh, South Doris Beach, mm -hmm. kind of between Kaima and Batemans Bay. Yeah, that's a big, big stretch. That's a long, long way south. Yeah, it was. And we did Kaima on the way back. But like the Bombo Quarry actually is quite beautiful, granted what it is. Mm. Like, it's going to sound so nerdy. But, um, Do it. You know, like the Power Rangers? Yeah, obviously. So, yeah, so you know when they filmed the movie? They filmed it in Sydney. They I didn't know that. Well, they did. I'm pleased to know that now. They used the Bombo Quarry. Really? Yeah. For like, like a fight scene or for... They used it for, I can't even think of what the planet is, but they go and that's where they get like their ninja powers. Okay. And that's where they film that. Okay. So, because I was watching it back when I was living overseas. <laughs> Because I was feeling homesick, and I was like, you know what? I watched the Power Rangers movie. It was filmed in Sydney. Put me back in Bombo. And I was Classic. like, oh my god, that looks like the Bombo Quarry. So I, I looked it up, and it was. And it was. Yeah. Dude, you got sharp eyes. That's an amazing pickup. Because well, a quarry is a quarry. Like, it's sort of. Oh well, the Bombo Quarry is quite distinct. Is it? With all its pillars and stuff. Mm. So it, it's pretty easy to pick. Yeah. Right. I'm impressed. I wouldn't watch the Power Rangers movie and be able to guess the location. <laughs> I think you would if you watched it. You'd be like, ah, that is Darling Harbour. Ah, that's the Opera House. Oh, okay. Is it that, that obvious? Is it? Is it oh, I, yeah, yeah. I, I've not seen it. Oh, I've, well, I think I'm you obviously should watch going it. to now. Yeah. 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 Like the main villain pulls uses Centre Point Tower as like a sword. Excuse me? Sorry? Pick, like picks up the Centre Point yeah. Tower. And uses it as a sword. There's no way I'm not watching this film. I yeah, you've got to watch it. I can't it's believe it's like... escaped me. Yeah, it's got like the really cool 90s CGI. Yeah, love it. Didn't didn't technology just ruin all of that? Like when Blu-ray or even just like 4K or 1080p, whatever it is, and suddenly you're looking at CGI and realising that it's CGI. Or yeah. like the mystery, the, the magic's gone. Yeah, especially like, have you seen the new Avengers? I haven't yet. Oh, well, 
I guess with any of the newer Marvel movies, like, the CGI on that looks quite real. Yeah. And when you compare it back to stuff from the 90s, back then in the 90s, you're like, yeah, that looks real. Yeah. And now you're like, You watch it now and it's so crude and you're like, this is like a puppet show. What are you... I can't believe I fell for this. I watched Lord of the Rings the other day and you're just like, well, I can see that's not a rock. That's clearly styrofoam. Yeah. But I didn't realise that back in the day when it was a little bit grainier on the screen. But now that there's Blu-ray high def blah 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 yeah you see all those little intricate details and you're like well it's almost taken a bit of the magic out of it because you don't get swept up as much because you're so conscious that this is just human beings pretending pretending stuff that's how i felt when i watched star wars for the first time i was like this is so bad but i can see why it was great in the 70s yeah 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 i can see why it was revolutionary yeah makes me wonder what's next i reckon it's got to be like some sort of augmented like in- integration you, okay did you ever read the choose your own adventure stories oh, when you were yeah. a kid? it'll be some shit like that and you, you you'll be in the movie the movie will be you. oh, you'll like be like a character Grylls in thing on netflix what's that i haven't watched it but he like lets you choose what he does isn't that guy full of shit though didn't everyone like debunk him or something or he like yeah goes out so. pretends to be hardcore and then sleeps in a hotel somewhere yeah it sounds about right. He's obviously definitely listening to this. So, Bear Grylls, explain yeah. yourself, dude. Come on. That's like, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Yeah, what's that about? I've never indulged, but I've always been curious to watch My that show. My dad watches it. But he got asked to go on it. And he's like, no, nah, I reckon it's all like full of shit. Like, Your dad got asked to go on it? Yeah. Is he a celebrity? Oh, I guess. What does he do? Um, Who is he? Oh, uh, he doesn't do it. Sorry, Dad, if you listen to this. <laughs> no, um... My dad was one of the Wiggles. Amazing. Yeah. That's a total celebrity. Well, yeah. I don't know. He's my dad. Yeah. I yeah, I guess it's pretty hard for you to fathom him as a celebrity. But it was funny because he was literally saying like the week before, he's like, no, nah, I bet they sleep in hotels. I bet it's in Cairns. It's not even in South Africa or wherever. Yeah. I don't know where it is. Bizarre that we go overseas to do it. Yeah. And then <laughs> he gets a call to do it. And we're like, dad, why didn't you ask where it is? He goes, you know what, I didn't even think of it. So has he basically just got better things to do? He doesn't want to do it. He just doesn't want to do it? He wouldn't even last two seconds in the jungle. For me, that show, there's so it's just like visible depravity, which is really like, you're lying if you say that's not appealing to you. We all sort of want to just see like, we've all got this weird... Almost, you want to see if you can do it. <laughs> yeah, you want to see if you can do it, but you also want to see like, Maybe I'm just exposing myself as a horrible human, but there's something about the attraction of watching someone potentially fail, and you're just like, oh, I want to see, I want to see like how this goes down because yeah. just on the off chance that something catastrophic happens, and it's just that's where the more morbid curiosity. That's the yeah. phrase I'm looking for. But for me, that show, like just from the title, for me, it sounds more like I'm a C grade celebrity. Get me out of here, back up to the A grade. Um, yeah, I saw. I was like, no disrespect to your father. No, well, it's probably why he said no. <laughs> um, he, I was going through Instagram, I think it was actually even last night, and just, you know, if you get up caught up, like, looking at people's profiles. Yeah, and yeah. Just mindlessly Lost. scrolling, because it was, like, a long week at work, and anyway, one of the guys that was on, like, Love Island, it's like a reality show, went on I'm a Celebrity. <laughs> I'm like, what? Like, I didn't know that meant you but were a not. celebrity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, what? That was like Big Brother back in the day. Is that still a thing? Is Big Brother still going? <laughs> no. Because that was pretty, pretty much all that show seemed to be about was just like, I really want to be a celebrity. 
People do that now. They're like, oh, I just want to go on reality TV to get like Instagram followers. And I'm like, that's so lame. What's the end game? Like, what's the real result from that? Aside from, there's a genuine. I have a genuine respect for those people who just are basically Insta famous or they just, I don't know, are the reality TV people because there is like, there's an element of success to being paid to endorse things. That's it. Yeah. Like that's pretty impressive. It's easy to criticise, but if you're just getting paid to say stuff about things or to like to be seen in a certain place, and it's kind of impressive that you've crafted a career out of that. But otherwise, I don't get the appeal. I just don't know what the end game I is. I think people just want to like not work in an office and work on their own terms. Mm. And like that does sound appealing, but nowadays a lot of companies are working towards that like working flexibly thing. Yeah. So like I get to do that a bit at work. So depending what's on, I actually do get to work from home, and it's beautiful because yeah, I. That must be. Is that just deluxe? Is that the best? It's so. It's actually like amazing. So like Tuesday was I was working at home. So I got up, did some work. I think I went to the gym, came back, did some more work, and then around sunset, I decided to go for a run down to Balmoral. Yeah. Then came back up and then did some more work. I bet the work you did was better for it. Well, I think I work better at home because there's like less distractions, but I also do like going to the office because you've got that social interaction. Mm. You have people that are just there, like you don't need to call them or wait for them or email. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's that balance. Yeah, I guess it depends what needs doing. And yeah. you can be at a different vibration and it can be helpful in different ways. Like if you need to be high, you need to be buzzing because there's lots to do or there's a big group activity on that's good to be in the office. But then if you've just got like fairly mundane things to do or just menial or just tedious things to do, way easier to do those things when you're happy, you're at a low buzz, you're just in your own space yep. and you're doing your own thing. I reckon that, yeah. I don't know, I've not had an office job and I'm similarly terrified of them, but I it's don't. I'm scary. not going to go on Big Brother to try and avoid it. <laughs> I'll figure out something else. You know, I was talking to my supervisor about that the other day. I'm like, I've been working since January and it's kind of gone by fast. And I was really scared to take an office job because that's why I did marine biology. I was like, I don't want to work in an office. Mm. And she goes, yeah, but to be fair, how often do we actually work in the office? Because <laughs> we'll go out to projects. Like, yeah. The other week we went down to Bateman's Bay and back. And wow. So... It is nice because I'm not just stuck at it. You get a change of scenery, yeah. Yeah. Oh, if it's gone fast, that means you've been having a good time. Yeah. You've been enjoying it. Yeah. That's good. Like, as long as I don't have to keep, like, as long as I don't get to that stage where I just live for the weekend, Mm. which is part of, like, why I move closer to work. That's that's a terrifyingly common thing, isn't it? That people who just, who live for the weekend, where they, they just, they only get to live the life they want for two days out of the week. Yeah, it's... It's really scary. It is scary because you're like, well, what am I doing with my life? Yeah. Like, more than half of it, you're working. Yeah, it's such a it's such a weird... It's just weird that that's just become so accepted as how we operate. Uh, yeah, and I don't understand why that is too because, like, so my boyfriend and I, we, because he has a biology degree as well, we always put things back to the root biological Oh, I do thing. that as well, the evolutionary biology thing, like yeah, we how do we evolve to get to here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're just like, we were running around like in nature and in a short time period, we're now sitting in offices yeah. and like that's not what we're designed to do. Yeah. And we're just like, isn't that crazy that that's just normal? That's the thing is that everything, it's the same goes for climate change. It's all just happened in the blink of an eye, evolutionary, in an evolutionary context. 
it might 2030 might sound like a long way away you know 12 years to avoid a runaway catastrophic climate change according mm. to the UN 2030 seems like 12 years you know you think about that in in real life terms as far as a human lifespan goes and it feels like a long way away that's a tenth of a life away yeah. but the reality is that we've been here for 200,000 years as a homo sapien and the entire way we've structured our existence now has come about in the last 500 or a thousand yeah. or even like 50 if you're thinking about things like plastic yeah and these things are just they're, they're it's just like a blink of an eye in an evolutionary context yeah it's really scary it is so scary Oh, I think a, that's a really helpful thing to do. Sorry, I didn't mean it. Oh, no, it's fine. It's just a totally like, random thing I was thinking. But do anyway. it. No, no, later. Uh, no, really so you said Homo sapien, and I watched a video yesterday from Jimmy Kimmel. Mm -hmm. I think it was him. And he was interviewing like Americans on the street and was like, are you worried about Homo sapiens dying off? And Or do you care about Homo sapiens? And someone's like... They're like, we're letting them get married. <laughs> no, they didn't know what a Homo sapien was. That's what I mean. They were like... Oh, I don't really care about them. Or they're like, oh, maybe we should work to live cohesively with Homo sapiens. And someone was just like, you know what? I don't know what it is, so I don't really care. Wow. So I was like, fair enough. You admitted you don't know honesty. what it is. Yeah. But other people were just like making up these like total BS answers, and I'm like, um, I good reckon. To know people don't know that we're Homo sapiens. Yeah, I reckon the same people that don't know we're Homo, homo sapiens are going to. Disney World and <laughs> you know abusing the princess and honestly paddling out into the surf and trying to crack somebody like I feel like people ignore that yeah <laughs> ignore that we're homo sapiens because they put us on a higher level than animals mm. and I'm like but we are an animal totally like, we still have a, a genus and a species we still have a, an animal kingdom classification yeah and I think because they put us on this like pedestal that's why they think okay i don't really care about the environment i don't care about these other animals i don't we're above it i'm like we're, we're literally animals yeah so i'm like we have fur we just call it hair yeah i'm like we have all these similar things like claws we just call them like nails nails yeah and i'm like we've just evolved like this terminology to put us on a at the top of like the food chain yeah we've just but we're not even we're, like well we're not exactly if we were to live in the wild we'd be gone done well i mean that might be you know we really hope that won't be the end result but it might be Maybe like we'll be we're, you're right like we're so vulnerable we're helpless in the wild we've just manipulated the environment and our habitat it is a habitat the roads that we drive on the house we live in the car you drive it's all part of your habitat and we've just like distorted it so much from how it was, how we've been designed, that we just don't consider it that way anymore. But yeah. your car is an exoskeleton. It's just like it's just it's our clothes as well. Yep, totally. I'm like, how would we survive? I don't know. I couldn't because I hate the cold. Mm. I'm like, how do we survive without clothing in, in shelter? Like, it'd be gone yeah but would we because i wonder if if you had grown up in a traditional context and you had a different understanding of what cold is and a different understanding of what wind and rain and all these things are and whether that um, cognition would have an impact on your physiology that's true you know like whether you'd you'd have whether you don't have actual techniques or whether your body would just react differently because of your understanding of what you're experiencing 
So in terms of that, do you think we've kind of evolved differently? Like, not quite speciation, but the people that are in the colder temperatures. Great question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, like, I know, like, my friend from, like, Seattle, Washington, his definition of cold is totally different to mine. Yeah. So I'm like, do you think our, like, we've kind of evolved a little bit differently like their bodies can handle those temperatures like yeah, or do you I think know. it hasn't happened long enough or do you think that's something we're going to evolve to i don't think it's a speciation because we haven't changed species so it's not quite like that but it'd like, just be part of the genome that's getting unlocked by your environment or by certain environmental triggers because like we don't really have like natural selection anymore because we've kind of just it's all pretty Got unnatural. Yeah. Like, if natural selection was a thing, I definitely, definitely would not be here today. Yes, yes. I can think of multiple reasons why I would have not made it. Yeah, yeah. That's a fascinating. Um, that's a fascinating thought. I've never thought. I've never considered that before. But um, <laughs> I guess like humans are pretty good at acclimating to to your surroundings. Mm. Have you heard of? Um, do you know Wim Hof, the Ice Man? Oh, yeah. Who does all the breathe? He does like holotropic breathing combined with cold exposure. Yeah. And he's getting pensioners to walk to the top of snowy mountains in shorts. And like, he's just unlocking this crazy human potential in people that, wow. you know, on paper yeah. shouldn't be there. And that seems to be like a psychology thing. So, kind of like a placebo sort of thing? Yeah, I think it's you know? very much on that same that same realm of undiscovered science that we don't know exactly how our mind affects our body but it does there's a definite relationship there oh yeah for sure the thing i've been thinking about heaps recently is food so like whether food becomes more bioavailable depending on how much you like it so whether if you've got like a super duper healthy meal a 10 out of 10 healthy meal in front of you but it tastes bland and awful whether you'd actually be better off eating a 7 out of 10 nutritional meal that you love you'll access everything in it will be more bioavailable because you're so I'm thinking like you like like you like it you like it yeah and so whether your you're is oh it, absorbing it differently you know like i reckon that's got to be a thing that's actually such an interesting thought right like oh i've been it's, it's the same thing it's like how much is is our mind affecting our body and how much is our yeah how, that, that relationship is so dense and so delicate but we don't know a thing about it yeah uh, there's probably not enough research going into that. Probably not enough people care. Which is weird, right? Because that seems to be a really obvious pathway to self-improvement. Yeah. Everyone should care about that. Yeah, and as if that doesn't fascinate people. It, right. I think it's really probably quite hard to get any objective data about it because it's all based on feelings and it's all yeah. based on a subjective experience. Yeah, and I wouldn't know how they kind of track the nutrients your body takes yeah unless they look at like you gotta think they'll be able to one day soon though with like mri technology and things like have we, we've mapped the full genome now haven't we of the human species we know everything I that's going on yes. in us <laughs> so there should be yeah. at some stage in the future some ability to correlate things correlate yeah. environment to to physiology unless it's already happening and it's just not published yet yeah or really horrible thought that might be happening but it might be being obscured by you know powers that be who st feel threatened by it because you have a you know self-empowered population yeah. you got a dangerous population because they're thinking for themselves <laughs> i always like... think like how much information is getting held back from us because of that yeah and i'm like we could know so much more and like it's a whole conspiracy thing and it, like that's it's a not a conspiracy though like that was the most horrible 
thing, basically the most appalling thing that I think all Australians experienced last year, every single one of us experienced this, which was the UN released their IPCC report from the world's most esteemed climate scientists saying we have insane work ahead of us. We need, we've got 12 years to avoid this runaway climate change. We need to bring our carbon consumption down to 2% or below. Currently Australia's is at 40. And then I think oil and gas is 30 and 25 respectively. We've got very fractional renewables. But basically all this information came out from the UN. Our federal environment minister, Melissa Price, the woman, the human who is supposed to care the most about the environment, withheld that information and released it on Friday night of a long weekend where there were two footy grand finals. So deliberate. And it was just the most intentional way to make sure that the least amount of sober and attentive people were able to receive that information was to release it. It was so calculated. Wow. And it like even thinking about it now, it's in, in retrospect, it still sends shivers down my spine that we've got a, a government or we've got people in our government who you know, are making it their business to make sure that people stay uninformed. Yeah, it's really disgusting. Isn't it? Like, and that, every, and one, the, we, every one of us experienced that. Yeah, and people think that only happens in, like, third world, developing, like, war-torn countries. And I'm mm. like, that happens here too. Yeah, there is leverage everywhere. I'm like, you just think because everything's, like, la-di-da here, we don't get affected. Like, even, like, racism and... Or like everything, everyone thinks, oh, that doesn't happen here. Just because it doesn't affect you or because you're not aware of it. Yeah. Like you can't just live in your bubble thinking Australia is this amazing, happy place where there's nothing wrong and everyone's perfect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is great. It, it, that, that's the thing is that's a fairly, I can sympathise with how you'd arrive at that mindset because you look around and look where we are, down at Clifton Gardens, yeah. sun's shining, it's, a, it's, it's windy, there's people having barbecues and it's just glorious and no one's being racist and horrible down here you and i aren't seeing anyone dump toxic shit in the ocean over there like it's really easy to ignore these things yeah. when life's so good around you but you're right like we're not that it doesn't mean they're not happening yeah people just are quite close-minded they're kind of happy to think if they can't see it it doesn't bother them yeah or they just don't want to have that happen to them or that's yeah. it. it i think that's where um that's where our access to information has, has been as much of a curse as a blessing mm -hmm. because where once upon a time, ignorance, like you're saying, might have been forgiven and ignorance is bliss. It's much yeah. nicer to not know about the things that upset you. But now we have got access to all of that information, but because of that, it's too much. And everyone's like, no, no, I want to put my head back in the sand. It was warm down there and I didn't have to think about any of this. Yeah, I have like a really good example, like last night, there was this, I found this Instagram page called Eva Stories and I don't know who, like her actual name, it was Eva someone from the Holocaust mm. and they, it was her diary and they put it into an Instagram account but it was stories and it was all so modern like done, they've obviously like hired people, production. Wow. But Definitely watch it. I will. Because it's so relatable about her in the Holocaust. Like, they, in, like they put her diary entries into Instagram stories. Is this Eva Braun in the, in the whatever house that was? Fuck my knowledge of I don't really know so much terrible. about the like, war and We've stuff. We've been very sheltered from it and yeah. it's very unpleasant. So and it is. And like, I was really interested in watching it. And I just remember after it, I was like, I felt so uneasy and sick to the stomach. 
and I was like, I can't believe this stuff happened. Like, I'm so glad they found this media to portray it in because I think it's important for everyone to know. Yeah. And like, it's just showing that I didn't know about that before and after seeing it. I had to go do other stuff before I went to bed. Like, it was the last thing I was doing before I oh, went to bed. Rookie error. Yeah, <laughs> I made yeah. that. So I had to like stay up longer and like look at other stuff because it just made me so unsettled. Yeah, yeah. But I'm really glad that I watched it. And there's like a couple million people that have, are following the account. And wow, that's fascinating. That is such a cool use of modern technology. Yeah, and like they used like, I mean, you couldn't really interact with it, but they put like stickers, they did boomerangs, they did like the ask me a question or... All of this stuff, which is just usually associated with pure nonsense and like completely inconsequential bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> and then to apply it to like one of the most hard hitting genocidal events of our history and i think that was a really good way to connect with this this generation totally because they're not like they'll be like oh the holocaust happened years ago it doesn't really matter i'm like no but it, it still kind of does and it's still sort of happening in australia yeah i'm like it's something you can't just be like oh because i wasn't around for it it doesn't matter like yeah. you know it does it's an important part of history and I think that was a great platform for them to put that across. And it was beautifully done. Like, mm. I was amazed each time I'd look at a story, I'd be like, wow, so many people were a part of this. There was so much in like production and setting and like, it actually looked like it was from the forties. This should be, this should be, a, there should be an Australian indigenous version of this. Yeah. Don't you think like, could you imagine if they did that with like colonization? Exactly. Because you think about World War Two and and the Nazis and the genocide, etc., etc., and it's condensed into this short period, and it's condemned in our history books. We look back on it as a really black event. No one can mm. ever run the Hitler moustache ever again. He ruined that for men everywhere yeah. because it's so bad what happened back there. Like the whole world acknowledges how terrible that was, but we've got this 300-year-long version of it going on here in Australia yep. that doesn't have a resolution but currently no one's looking at Australia thinking in the same way in horror and in, in condemnation yeah and I'm like it, but it, it happened it, it's still happening like yeah. and the level of ignorance about it is I think what's facilitating it so maybe a platform like that to put these really terrifying and really disturbing stories and events into into modern technology that really only happened yeah. Yesterday in well, this NITV, evolutionary if you're context. Listening, yeah, right. Take that idea and run with it. Yes, license Maddie and Rolls. <laughs> it's definitely ours and uh, direct all royalties to uh, Clifton Gardens. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be. Um, I saw a photo the other day from, I think it was like 1907, of Wyndham Jail in uh, Western Australia. Yeah. Of Indigenous basically chained by the neck with these shackles that had to be taken off by a blacksmith with an, like a hammer and a hot whatever while their neck is down on the, on the anvil. It, it, and it, like, it's the most shocking, insane photo that looks tantamount to slaves in Egypt 5,000 years ago, but you look at the date on it and it was 110 years ago. Yeah. That was yesterday. And, oh, it's just shocking. It's so disturbing how much ignorance about that sort of stuff is, is ongoing. Like, I remember it was a couple of years ago on one of like the Aboriginal pages I follow, they posted that one of the bars in Western Australia had their segregation. It was a segregated bar. Sorry, still? Yep. 
still today. So I can only imagine what? how many more there are across the country. What? And I, I cried. It had like the normal pub on the white side and then the black side was like cyclone fencing and dirt. And there was an Aboriginal man sitting there. And I'm oh like, could you imagine God. like someone coming into your like town, setting this up and saying, sorry, no, you're not allowed in here. Holy shit. And that was 2016 I saw that. Can you link that to me? Can you send that to me? I haven't been able to find it again, but I think... Well, if you do. Yeah, I think I know what page it was on, but it was a couple of years ago. And mm. like, I'm sure if you even Google it and do some searching, there's some stuff somewhere. Because I'm pretty sure that happens in the Northern Territory too. Yeah. Yeah, I've got friends working out in, in the interior and um, it's... They're the most beautiful, some of the most beautiful people I know, and they're out there for the right reasons. But yeah. they say that, like, there's a lot of white fellas out there for the wrong reasons. It's because oh, yeah. they know it's a place that racism and bigotry you can still get away with if that's the way you're inclined. It's horrible. Some of their stories are just appalling. Yeah, I was speaking to an uncle one day, and he was telling me, I don't know how like accurate this is because I didn't want to question him because he's an uncle out of respect. Yeah, and um just because like lack of understanding biology but the, his point was pretty intense so his he was telling me that his family went over to WA um, out to community and his wife ended up in labor and a white doctor helped deliver the baby and then um, it was like their third child so they've already delivered before they know the whole process yeah. with a midwife and or a doula I imagine if they're an indigenous well, they're, they're from Sydney, this okay. family, but okay. they were visiting community. Get you. So, then the doctor went to go do something else, and the, the woman's like, ah, oh, no, that's not, that's not standard, like, that doesn't happen, that's never happened before. Mm. Apparently, he tried to, like, tie her tubes, so all the other mums in community... Whoa, without any consultation, without any announcement... So all the other mums oh. in the community were like, yeah, no, he did the same for us. So they can't have children anymore? Yeah. <gasps> and that this was only in like 2000 and the uncle was saying that he tried to take it to the media and all this stuff. Because he said it happened to oh. his son, like when his son was born and his son was like 18 last year or something. Oh my God. I don't know. Yeah, intense. How, how horrifying as well to imagine that that white doctor was probably lauded by his community for being a real you know a hero you know good on you you're out there in the bush you're helping these communities you're yep. god you're putting your own life on the line you know he would have been and he was preventing them from having any more oh, kids oh that makes my skin crawl so i'm not sure how much truth there is behind it because i of bio biology and stuff and medical stuff but like even if that that was happening in 2019 years ago like I can't believe that that yeah. occurred yeah like shocking it's sickening it is like you're just telling a race up no more kids for you mm. like it's so my friend Kiralee Dawn lives up in Byron and she's starting um, her own non-profit called Indigenous Doulas yeah. which is about basically reinvigorating the culture of the doula and having a birth partner who's not you know, medically recognised by the yeah. white institution, um, but is is there to to have the the woman's back while things are going down? Because you're in such a, I mean, I can only imagine. Not had kids myself, <laughs> <Me either. laughs> but like I can only you can only imagine the amount of 
it'd be psychedelic that headspace of like so much crazy trippy stuff going on that it'd be so easy to just let stuff go that feels weird but you're just like well i don't know if that if i'm just feeling weird or if that's actually not on but maybe i won't say anything and how yeah. important it is to have the door there to to act on your behalf and have your best interest to prevent like atrocities like that happening yeah. and i know um a lot of aboriginal people are quite apprehensive about white doctors and that sort of stuff. So maybe like having Indigenous doulas will help. Yeah, there's definitely integration of like, well, at least cooperation between midwife, doctor, doula, and you know, actually some sort of. Yeah, so they feel comfortable giving birth. Yeah. Because it's, I'm assuming it's a traumatic experience. Yeah, absolutely. But apparently yeah. it's beautiful because everyone keeps wanting to have more kids after. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you can only imagine the joy of bringing life into this dimension. That's a pretty insane experience. Oh, talking so to Kiralee, scary. it's scary talking to Kiralee about it and how how pure her joy in in what she does is and how how confident she is in the path she's walking because she knows how that that's the most amazing experience that is on offer to the human being on planet earth is is childbirth and yeah. as a man I'd never once I'd been I'd been thankful that I never have to give birth. And after talking to Kiralee, I was like, oh, I'm sort of devastated that I can't have that experience now because it's it truly is. It's the most amazing thing, you know, available to us yeah. as a species. I think about that a lot, and I'm like, I don't I don't even know if I want kids at this like at this point. Obviously, I'm I'm young. I'm like, I don't know if I want kids. But mm. I'm like, it's really sad that what's holding me back from wanting to have a family is that's probably like the most sustainable thing you can do is not have kids. Yeah. And I'm like, do I want to bring kids into this world that is only going to get worse? Yeah, totally. And I'm like, that's really sad that people my generation, or our generation are thinking about that. We're like, okay, we're going to hold ourselves back from having kids because everyone else has screwed it up for us. But isn't that just the meaning of life that you'll never know is like whether that's the right thing to do or not? Because you think, I'm like you, I, I think you know, I'm a human being. I'm, I like to think that I've got a family in the future, but then I'm also environmentally aware that that's an, yeah. that's an, could be an egregious thing to do at this time and in this place. But then the counter argument is that, well, what if you give birth to the child that's going to rescue the world from climate change or cure cancer or do one of these amazing things that, you know, it's like the, it's such a personal yeah. judgment that you, no one can make for you. I've spoken to a few of like, my Aboriginal friends about it and some of them are like no I want to have kids because we're already a minority and I want to be able to pass on culture and stuff right, and I'm like that's, that's another totally like conflicting thing and I'm just like so hard so hard it, Ricky Gervais has a really good joke about that well it's not really I guess it's not funny it is pretty funny the way he delivers it but it's it's a really disturbing thing that he points out about because he gets criticised a lot for like why don't you have kids yeah and he's like well you know I think a lot about the world and it's a big responsibility to bring another human here it's a big, big you know obligation to the rest of the world to bring another mouth to feed yeah why are you asking me why I don't have kids why aren't you at the dole office asking why that woman's got eight you know yeah. and there's there's this definite divide between people who who really do consider it and then other people who just don't don't at all yeah i was talking to one of the sustainability guys yesterday and he's got one kid and he's like i'd love to have another but that's the best thing i can do for sustainability is not to have another one mm. and i'm like that's it's an insane thing and to that's something he's into. going through right now yeah and that's something he has to think about right now I'm like i have a couple of years ahead of me before i even have to consider that sort of stuff yeah there's yeah exactly and how much bigger of a consideration is it by then 
oh yeah yeah by then it could be too late yeah. like that's one thing we can say for certain. Like, there's a lot of uncertainties about previous human population on this planet and how many civilizations have been before us. I think we can say with certainty that there's never been seven billion of us here. Oh yeah. And, you know, I think the fossil record would have shown if there was. And so this is quite genuinely something that human beings have never ever had to consider in terms of reproduction. We've always been safe to follow our genetic programming in our impulses to procreate. Yeah. But this is the first time where this thing has a real bearing on whether we should or shouldn't do that. And that's why I think Thanos in the Avengers isn't really the villain. Because, like, I was obviously when you watch them, it kind of angers me that everyone's like, oh, he's going to just wipe out half the population. I'm like, he's... He's not doing it through selection. He's mm -hmm. doing it random. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that would be like the most ethical way to do it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's pretty scary. Yeah. And I sound a, so morbid when I a, say it. It's a sociopathic thing to try and justify, but I'm totally with you. And a lot of like other science people I speak to about it, they agree. And I'm like, he, you even saw in like Infinity War, what happened after he did like the snap, like the planets flourished. Mm. And I'm like, there's a net gain. There's, I remember in year 12, my biology teacher told us, he goes, you're going to hate me for it, but we need a plague or a war because there's too many of us. Yeah. And that was five years ago. Shit. And you're like, dude, I'm 16. I don't want to hear that. I don't know what to, I don't know what to say to that. Yeah. And I was probably, at that time I was a bit like, my teacher just told us half of us need to die but i was like he actually is kind of right and yeah. everyone was appalled by it but i was the one sitting there thinking about it and i'm like yep actually yeah. like we've got yeah. vaccines to prevent things and like we've we've eliminated all the population controls that are naturally out there yeah we've made it way too easy to reproduce and we've done nothing to curb it yeah and china tried it Right, China tried it, <laughs> totally. And another one of the blackest things in the history books, the one-child policy and all of the... And honestly, it's probably what needs to get implemented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's no point, like, releasing disease or something because that's quite scary. But the best way to do it is, yeah, a one-child policy, which yeah. is horrible, but... We've been selfish up until now. So. That's it. Is 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 we're we're redressing the selfishness balance because we've gone overboard in the last hunt, 50, 30, 10 years. Yeah. You know, like we've just been going ham on the indulgence on all fronts, including reproducing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's probably the best way to do it, which is really like terrifying. Yes, yeah, so terrifying. There's a Dan Brown novel about that. I forgot what it's called. One of the um, angels and oh, whatever yeah. books. Um, and the antagonist in that has a similar fiendish plot and you're reading about it and I remember reading it and being horrified at myself of like, so, like why is this making sense? Why am I sympathising with the guy who's trying to end the world? Because like, he was doing the same thing. He's just trying to acknowledge yeah. the fact that 4 billion or something was the mark that was the, the optimum or something or maybe the, some sort of, there's some sort of marker of population that was sustainable where yep. we could there were, there were heaps of us but we could keep having war and it was measured and he wanted to bring us back to three and a half which meant same thing culling half the people and he was going to do it with some some gas or some noxious thing which was again i had the same thought i was like well it's probably 
really fairest way to do this. And you're yeah. like, wait, what am I doing? How? Why am I sympathising with this this maniac? But there's a real um, there's a real. There's so many of like reason. those sorts of stories. Like there was this really bad movie on YouTube, or YouTube Red or something. I don't know. I can't remember what it was called, but it was like America, and they had to like make the students do a test throughout high school mm. or throughout the whole schooling years. If they failed the test or didn't do as well, they got pretty much booted from life. Wow. Um, and then booted once, from life. <laughs> I was like, it sounds so bad saying they got killed. Pushed off the edge of the flat earth. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, once they got through to like year 12 and like they passed all of it, then they could live. You're eligible. You and can I'm stay. Like, that... On a, like that's kind of like that whole like what is it like eugenics kind of mm, keeping mm. the smartest people but yeah we don't have natural selection anymore no nah. so i'm like that actually kind of makes sense and here i am siding with like the horrible plot of mm, a horror mm. movie or a thriller and i'm like oh okay <laughs> so i i actually think this is a fairly tidy point to bring back to how we began this conversation about politics yeah and about your distaste for politics i have a similar distaste or just like I feel disenfranchised. I feel like it's it's too complex and clearly doesn't work, so why would I get to the bottom of what's going on? Yeah. That's pretty much my attitude. So as far as eligibility goes, rather than booting people off the edge of the world <laughs> if they're not good enough, as far as like our democracy goes and our voting, I want to suggest something to you. I'm interested in what you'd have to say to this based on your current criticisms of our state government and our premier who seems to hate the world or hate nature. Um, what if there was a qualified vote? So what if it's not like everyone, everyone still gets a vote. Say everyone gets one vote. But if you want to vote, if you want your vote to be worth 300 votes, you can. If you go to XYZ seminar in the city or in this place or whatever, some sort of like government implemented education scheme to actually make sure that people know what they're voting about. Mm. Like how cool would that be to be able yeah. to, like if you really cared about marine biology and in indigenous affairs you could allocate your votes to those two specific things and you could bulk up your say in those arenas by proving yourself as the most educated one of the most educated people to be voting on it i i think there's always no matter who you vote for there's always something bad yeah, so i can acknowledge compromise. that gladys has done some good things she's helping infrastructure the, the government are doing really good things in the sense that they're not going to put all this money straight into infrastructure. They'll slowly buy it back. Mm. So they're not just wasting money. Kind of like after paying mm -hmm. infrastructure. Mm -hmm. I'm like, she's doing good things, but not everything is good. And it's whether the good outweighs the bad. So sometimes I think if you're going to go to these seminars, go get like educated, is, is that going to top the scales the wrong way like well I guess that yeah I, possibly quite possibly because people might just be more like maybe more people will go that are like say anti-climate and then their votes end up counting more yeah and like, a, yeah it's a really good point it's a I guess you'd I guess it would require you know, faith in your fellow human being that they that if if a climate denier went to a three-hour lecture on why climate change is real, 
you'd hope that they'd walk out of that with a more comprehensive understanding of the thing that they've been yeah. claiming isn't true. Well, it would also depend like what the seminars are about and like if you have the time, like work and stuff, like here's yeah. an idea. I They're serious logistical challenges. It's kind of good in a sense how America doesn't make it compulsory. So I know it didn't work well in their last election with Trump, but those were the people that cared about Trump that voted. Mm cared what he was saying so they went to the polls because like i had friends that were like i don't want to vote like they're all horrible and i'm like you got to vote for the lesser evil here. yeah 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 i'm like take that privilege that you can vote and make it work obviously yeah trump's still won but if you don't make everyone vote people aren't going to waste their votes like because people are going to actually have to get up and go to the polling stations on their, like, voluntarily. Yep, yep. So they're going to have, like, some sort of education, some sort of understanding, some sort of passion for why they're ticking a box or putting a number. Mm. Whereas if you're making everyone go, there'll be people that will just, like, put whatever. Yeah, just they're like, resentful oh. for being there, so they just, yeah. like, try and throw a spanner in the works. And I feel like there'd be a few people that are like that. Mm. and people will just be like, you know what, I don't care about politics, I'll just pick a Liberal because they're already in government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they have to be there. It's definitely what's happening now. It is, because people have to go. Yeah. And I'm like, it's kind of good that we have to go, but it's, it's mm. like a lesser, it's like one step back of what you're saying, going to like seminars and having that as like a more powerful vote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really complex thing. It is. That's why you and I aren't sitting in there figuring out yeah. and making decisions. We're just talking about it down at Clifton Gardens. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, it doesn't really matter. How can people support Maria? Um, if you follow our Instagram and our Facebook and keep engaged with us, mm -hmm. then that will obviously help our reach because we're kind of using social media as our education platform because that kind of seems to be the thing. Yep. Everyone wants Necessary Instagram. Evil. Yep. So I saw, I did something like a blog on the website, but it just, no one was reading it. So I've kind of taken it down and I'm not actually that good with technology, so I don't really know how to put it back up. But um, You should leave it up there because that's the beauty of the internet is that it never goes yeah. away. So like even if no one's reading it, it now, they yeah. might read it in the future. Yeah, so I was like using my Instagram post as like that sort of way. Mm. So... I'm not all that keen on like taking donations at this point because that's, I'm not for that. Like I don't really need money to do what I'm doing right now. Yep, cool. Because um, I know there's like some that'll be like, give us donations, do this. And I'm like, what do you actually do with your money? Yeah, if you're not a registered charity, or you don't really need much money to go down into the bush and pick up some rubbish. Yeah, I'm like, it doesn't cost, like I got like, mum helped me do like buckets and stuff. That didn't really cost much. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, it's a little, Bit that I'm putting into it, so I'm like, I don't really need funding to do it because yeah. it's not, it's a passion thing. Yeah, yeah, I get you. And I'm like, I just see too many organizations just taking donations. I'm like, what do you actually do with it? Yeah, I'm like, cool, you make more merch, and I'm like, I'm kind of against merch because I'm like, cool, if people don't buy it, it's just going to landfill, yeah, fashion waste, yeah. So if people just get engaged with us on social media, yeah, cool. That would be the best thing people could do. <laughs> Sweet. And it's just M-U-R-R-I-Y-A-N? Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. And then if we post about beach cleanups, people can come down. Oh, nice. Yeah, have you got any scheduled? Uh, not yet. So we're hoping to organise today. Cool. 
because um, it's just so hectic like with work and stuff but oh what you're doing is crazy you you, you committed yourself to another full-time job that doesn't pay you money yeah on top of your other full-time job that does so you know these yeah. things take time and it's pretty I really admire it it's a it's a real um, testament to to your motivation like being very obviously quite pure because why else would you use your own money and your time that you could spend on Netflix instead yeah well I find it that. fun like I was on a phone call with another organization that does like debris marine um, collections yep. and now every time I go down to Balmoral for my run and I pick up rubbish I'll tally it and put it towards that and oh, then cool. everyone has that data and just I, I spend time talking to other people and reaching out and I enjoy talking to people and yeah, it makes you feel good right yeah I enjoy learning things that other people have to say so I'm like I don't need uh, like money from it yeah and it's not and it's, I guess it's not an expense of your time then because yeah because I enjoy you're it enjoying it yeah but eventually I do want to be able to f take donations and fund research yeah yeah so that might be like two, three years away. I don't know yet. I'm kind of taking it slow. Oh yeah, it'll be a total it. journey and you'll, you gotta enjoy it. Yeah, and like before I did it, the everyone's like, oh, most non-profits burn out within a year. Yeah. And I'm like, that's probably because they go too hard too fast. Yeah, and after cash and cash alone. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, I'd, I would just take it slow. Yeah, cool. That's a really, um, that's a beautiful sentiment to probably finish with that, that you, you can feel really good from doing this stuff. Like yeah. it's a really, it, it is a gateway to better mental health. And oh, yeah. it's this beautiful two birds with one stone situation where you live, you live responsibly and you, you live mindfully and you'll feel better. You do good and you feel good and it's, yeah. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, nice. Oh, well, thanks for the chat. That's all right, thanks Let's for having me. Oh my God, that was an hour and 20 minutes. So isn't Maddie just like, okay, for me, Madison Page, and if she's listening, Maddie, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but you, lady, are both an inspiration and an indictment. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, you're an indictment on me and presumably most other people who weren't doing what you are doing when you were 21 years old. Like when I was 21, I wish I had made the most of my opportunities at that age the way that Maddie is. And I'm just, like I said at the beginning of this episode, I'm so relieved that Maddie is setting such an insane example in steadying the ship, righting the problems, and making sure that we have a future that we can look forward to and that we don't need to fear. So thank you for listening, and thanks, Maddie, for the chat. Please, obviously, like, share, comment, subscribe, etc. if you liked it. And, I mean, if you got this far, you did like it, so please share it. Um, and please join us in a fortnight's time for the next conversation, which is with... Duh, 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 Tim Silverwood, CEO of Take Three for the Sea. If you haven't heard of Take Three for the Sea, you probably haven't heard of any ocean conservation charity because Take Three has really taken the world by storm. It's a hashtag, it's a movement, it's an ideology, and it's a, just a really simple behavior of removing three pieces of rubbish with you every time you leave the coast. And it's making a massive difference. Take Three has found its way into over 129 different countries. And the man leading the charge is Tim Silverwood, CEO. He's an absolute icon of the anti-plastic movement and a really seasoned veteran of frontline grassroots activism and making a real difference. So that was a conversation that I obviously loved having. So please join me for that in a couple of weeks time and I will talk to you then. Peace and love everybody. Goodbye.